podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. <clears throat> hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Tech This Podcast. My name's Daniel. My name is Carl Anker. Hello, everyone. What's up? What's up? What's up? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I've uh, yeah. watched a surprising amount of football in the last couple of days. It's weird, isn't it? Like last week, I didn't watch that much football. This week, I did. So um, we should have a pretty good show. Yeah, we do this podcast every Tuesday. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, Spotify. We did get, if, if you're listening on an Apple device, remember to leave us a five-star review and we will read it on the show. Um, we did get one this week. It's from a guy called Pep is the Best. Amazing podcast. I found out this podcast through one of Half Hope's tweets. And I have to say it's the best football podcast ever. Keep up the great work. One question, though. Why does Half Hope underrate Kevin De Bruyne? I think there, there was a discussion that Half Hope was having on, I think, his, his YouTube channel about how Eden Hazard is the best player in the Premier League. And someone brought up Kevin De Bruyne as being the best player. And he just kind of rubbished that idea. I'm sure this obvious Manchester City fan is probably a little bit salty that Half Hope decided to go against Kevin De Bruyne. So that might be where that question stems from. Um, Half Hope is doing Neek Sports Podcast right now. So he'll join if he joins. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But, you know, we got some good topics to talk about nonetheless. So, yeah. Carl, you got anything coming out this week that you think that people should know about? Naughty boys, my uh, look at some of the great players of the early 2000s concludes this week. So it's a project I've been sharing with a friend of the podcast, Tom Victor, uh, and they've been going out every single Champions League match day. And it completes for 2018 with a look at a player from Lyon's heyday in the early 2000s when they won seven League 1 titles in a row. I'll leave you to figure out. That'll be live when you are listening to this. Juninho? I can't confirm or deny. I thought Janino, I thought Lloris, but I don't think Lloris was in the Leon heyday. And then Michel Bastos, was he in those teams? I can't confirm or deny. <laughs> we, will, we will find out what it drops. All right, so uh, let's start out with the game of the week, Carl. Um, Chelsea played Manchester City, the unbeaten Manchester City up until that point. Chelsea lost to Wolves in the preceding game. So a lot of people were very much doubting whether or not Chelsea had the capability of beating Manchester City. People had doubts whether anyone could beat Manchester City for that point. And sorry, pulled out a result against all odds, or at least against what people think. I mean, it's kind of weird to consider Chelsea's an underdog considering how much money they spend and the quality of their team. But I guess it just goes to show the esteem that Manchester City is held in right now. But they won 2-0. So how do you feel about Chelsea winning 2-0? I mean, Liverpool's now top of the table. Maybe that's the point for, for later. But Chelsea kind of coagulated the table in some way. Like, it's, it's tightened. It really has. It's, we've, got a tight, we've got, hopefully, a tight race on our hands. Um, Manchester City were surprisingly ordinary against Chelsea. With uh, Kevin De Bruyne out injured, along with Sergio Aguero, who's now been ruled injured. They played a false nine at the Chelsea. Chelsea line up with Hazard as, as the tip of their spear and Manchester City use Raheem Sterling. And, and for City, yeah, they, they got out of the box quite strongly, but they very clearly missed Aguero's energy and impact. There was a moment where City went for their typical low cross along the side of goal and Sterling couldn't quite get there. Um, Leroy Sane trying to put it across the goal and Sterling couldn't quite get there and then on a reverse bit where Sterling tried putting in the cross and then no one else quite got there you, and you sort of went yeah they're missing Aguero to put these in they didn't have a shot on target they only had one shot on goal on target in the first half hour uh, and then Chelsea did what Sarri's Chelsea has always been threatening to do with David Luiz being a fantastic oh wait you guys are trying to press us okay Here's a 30-yard diagonal ball to beat your long press. And then Hazard picking up the ball in a very dangerous area and using that well. And then, of all people, N'Golo Kante. To, uh, <laughs> to, to, well, I listened to the episode last week when you were discussing what's going on with Kante. Uh, you know, that very much felt like Sarri going, see, told you, nothing's going wrong. Chelsea were very good. And that was the... Um, the sort of crystallization of everything Sarri's been trying to get them to do for a while. And Manchester City were two or three notches below the standard we've been, we've expected from them. Uh, they just, they pressed okay. They defended okay. They played good football. And that, that you know, the, the quality of the football they play would be at least 15 
to 17 sides in the Premier League is just every now and again you're going to get done. If they, if they play like that against uh, a Tottenham Hotspur who are feeding it, they'd probably lose. If they're playing that football against the Liverpool at home, they'd probably lose. And I think that's what's going to annoy Pep. Not the fact they lost. I think Pep doesn't mind losing. I think he kind of enjoys he kind of enjoys it when they get the first defeat because it, it stops complacency. And I think now City will probably just get better because now they've realised, oh no, we have to you stop resting our laurels and really start throttling opponents. So I, uh, I worry about Everton who they'll play on the weekend. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that Pep in the post-match press conference said he didn't expect Chelsea to play with Hazard, William, Pedro, that he was expecting more of a focal point, a target man, if you will, maybe Giroud or Maranta to play. And mm. I, I saw a lot of Chelsea fans almost had the same idea. They were saying, you know, uh, why aren't we playing with the target man? Giroud should play that way. You know, as you say, if the press is too much, one of the center backs can just launch it to a target man and maybe you can collect ground that way. But I was watching the game and I was just like, I understand why you want Willian and Pedro in the game because they can help shut down the flanks in a, in a more productive way than maybe Pedro Hazard or Willian Hazard with a with the target man. You know, as, as you say, City didn't create that many clear-cut chances. They obviously dominated the first portion of the game. That's just because I think they're just a better team and I think maybe the fear that teams have of, of Manchester City just kind of getting into their flow kind of stagnates what they try to do offensively. But yeah, it was just really interesting to see Willian help on the on the left side. Pedro closed down on the right side. They frustrated, I thought, Sané to a degree. Sterling had his moments, but he was still frustrated to a degree. So as you say, they kind of closed those avenues and, you know, they made it difficult, which is interesting to see. I think a lot of people think of Sarri as an offensive manager, which he is. But at the end of the day, he's still Italian. So just getting blown out isn't really in his uh, in his frame of reference, I don't think. Like, he's going to look probably at offense first, but defense isn't going to be that much far behind. So it's interesting to see that kind of nuance and to see that kind of wrinkle that he can throw out. I think even in his post-match press conference, he said, like, this Hazard as a striker um, is something we're going to see in other big games, which I feel is just a kind of way of saying, like, I want more solidity on the wings, which was interesting. Yeah, William has stayed at Chelsea for such a long time because he's so diligent at his defensive work. You know, we talk about uh, a certain Portuguese football manager a lot on this podcast. <laughs> and, uh, one thing that he is known for is how he absolutely demands his wide men to track their fullbacks. Yeah. And if, if they don't put in defensive yards, if they don't do the running, then they will be get, get gone off. And this is why William, you know, despite his interesting goal return, I, I wouldn't say underwhelming. I think he scores the exact amount of goals you'd expect from a play in that sort of system. Um, that's why William plays those big games. That's why he's such a valued asset because he does his defensive work. And also, he's so fast. It's one of those things that uh, I'm only really, truly beginning to appreciate this year. Just in a straight line, William is one of the fastest players in the Premier League. For that, I think also the first goal, he absolutely left Kyle Walker for dust. Or something that also came out was the fact that um, the Chelsea team more or less managed themselves. Because they were playing with quite a high defensive line for the first half an hour and then sort of realised they were being swarmed by City. And then it was very clear that it happened without Sarri's instruction. They just went, lads, should we just drop back to our penalty area a little bit? Um, which made me chuckle. It was a bit like the old Chelsea's of AVB and Avram Grant and <laughs> where they sort of, they started again and went, hang on, this isn't working. And you could just see the, uh, well, I, it used to be the Lampard, Drogba, John Terry spine go, we're going to do it the old-fashioned way. But you could, there was a noticeable shift about 35 minutes in where they just went, nah, we're going to have to drop our defensive line by five yards. It was a great game. I also want to, you know, special mention to David Luiz, who mm. I've said before in this podcast, David Luiz is a good centre-back. David Luiz is exactly as good a centre-back as Jerome Boateng is. It's just that when David Luiz has a bad game, he has a really bad game. Um, and when David Luiz has a good game, it can be quite hard to spot it. David Luiz, David Luiz's range of passing was integral to the Conte title win for Chelsea. When Fabregas couldn't really make the passes anymore in the January slump, a lot of the creative passing was being done by David Luiz in 
defence, in that three-man defence of going, all right, I'll step into midfield and I'll, and I'll ping it 30 yards. And I think a lot of why Chelsea fell off the boil last season was the fact that Luis was more or less frozen out the squad because David Luiz does David Luiz style brain farts every now and again. Now he's back in the side and back in a four. He will be prone to those brain farts because I think he's, you know, Luis is best served by playing in a three. But Chelsea are looking strong to finish in the top four. I think you said it last week when Paul was on the show, who's more likely to finish in the top four out of Chelsea, Arsenal, or Spurs. The way I said it is that Chelsea have a better central midfield than Spurs and Arsenal have better attacking options than Spurs. So Spurs are the odd one out and need to kick up a notch if they want to get in there. Anything else you want to mention here? I, I was going to kind of turn back into the William point just quickly. Bad William happens when he plays on, on the right-hand side because his, his patented move is cutting in on his right foot. If you're on the right flank and your patented move is cutting in on your right foot, like what are you going to do? Just give the opposition a bunch of throw-ins? Like uh, it, it, you know, Andrus Townsend problem. <laughs> it, exactly, it was like obviously not to the same level, and so I don't want you guys to think that I'm comparing Iron Robin and William. But if you put Iron Robin on the left, does he work? No, because he doesn't have the space in which to cut in on his left foot. You understand? So when Hazard plays centrally and William is then given the left flank, you see a far better William, and obviously it makes. Chelsea's right side a little bit more potent, not even a little bit, a lot more potent because Pedro has a left foot and he has the capability of kind of opening space, especially for the fullback on that side as well. So I think it makes the right side better and it makes the left – it doesn't make the left side better because Hazard's obviously a better player than William, but it just makes William a better player, which I like to see. So, yeah, putting players in their best position, you get the best player. So it's not necessarily a case of just William's brainless or stupid or the things that people say about William. It's just he's playing out of position – but to his credit, as you say, like managers want him in the team because of his physical capabilities. But yeah, I don't think I have anything left on that other than shout out David Luiz, obviously, as you say. I was just going to make a small point about the fact that um, Gabriel Jesus didn't start. You know, the striker was brought in as Pep's man, as Pep's, you know, supposed replacement for Sergio Aguero. But he's not kicked on. He's had, he's had a particularly bad 2018. If you look at this calendar year, he was supposedly supposed to be the man to, to lead this Brazil side to a sixth World Cup in Tite system and it doesn't work. You know, after after going unbeaten and, and winning, I think, 10 games in a row in qualifying for Brazil, Jesus more or less develops a glitch in his shooting. And then for Manchester City, Aguero's put him well and truly in the shade. And, you know, now in another big game that you would expect, especially with Aguero injured, Jesus to start, Sterling gets the, the tip. So we be interested to see what happens to Jesus in the... In the- <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm vastly immature. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, but that's done. And you know, now let's talk about what we should be talking about. Raheem Sterling. Do you, do you, do you want to lay the foundation before we get in? Yeah. So uh, at some point during the, I want to say the second half of the game at Chelsea, Raheem Sterling, the ball went out of play and Raheem Sterling goes to set up a corner kick for Manchester City. And during this point in time, three Chelsea season ticket holders gave him some very vitriolic, racially charged abuse. Many people were were trying to lip read and saying, oh, was he saying this? Were they saying this? Were they saying that? I will just say the current conjecture appears to be they were saying what John Terry called Anton Ferdinand. We just can't say, uh, like, black cunt. You don't think people actually need to hear these things? Like, Yeah, someone called Raheem Sterling a fucking black cunt. And Sterling, you know, looks at him, goes, whose man is this? Or gives him the... The, <laughs> the, the Russell Westbrook. The Russell Westbrook, whose man is this? Facial expression, laughs and gets on with his football. Um, this was then reported by the police was reported uh, Gary Lineker did the very serious thing Gary Lineker does when he puts on his reading glasses. If, if you watch a lot of British television, you know that when Gary Lineker puts on his reading glasses, he's about to say something serious. So that that, that was Saturday. On Sunday morning, Raheem Sterling uh, really, uh, made a statement on his Instagram page, which basically called out the years of racist dog whistles and reportage about him and said essentially that the reason I get this much abuse well, the you know black basically black players find themselves in for a lot more attention and abuse because of um, the reporting 
by the media and how the media constantly goes, look at this black guy. Look what he's doing with his money. Look at this money. You know, look how this man spends his money. Look how this man uh, doesn't respect the football fans. Look how this man does whatnot. The interesting thing about Sterling was that he did not use himself as an example. What he did was contrast Manchester City player Tosin Adebario uh, with Phil Foden and how the Daily Mail reported those two stories. So for Tosin, it was young Manchester City footballer 20 on 25 million a week, splashes out on a mansion that costs 2.25 million despite having never started a Premier League match. Whereas Phil Foden was Manchester City starlet Phil Foden buys new £2 million home for his mum. <laughs> Very interesting thing here is that uh, Tosin's story is reported in sport, whereas Phil Foden is not. So the full statement from Sterling is, good morning, I just want to say I'm not normally the person to talk a lot, but when I think I need my point to be heard, I will speak up. Regarding what was said at the Chelsea game, as you can see by my reaction, I just have to laugh because I don't expect no better. For example, you have two young players starting out their careers, both play for the same team, both have done the right thing, which is buy a new house for their mothers who have put in a lot of time and love in helping them get where they need to be. But look how the newspapers get their message across for the young black player and then for the young white player. I think this is unacceptable in both incidences. Both boy players are innocent and not done a thing wrong, but just look at the way it's worded. This young black kid has been looked at in a bad light, which helps fuel racism and aggressive behavior. So for all the newspapers that don't understand why people are racist in this day and age, I have to say, have a second thought about fair publicity and give all players a chance. Um, at the time of writing, this post has been liked over 600,000 times, including a number of professionals. Just looking quite right now, Arba, Phil Foden, Gary Lineker, Oxley chamberlain Edison, Yannick Balassi, Leon Bailey, Berahino, Danny Luis have all commented about this and gone, yeah, well done for speaking up. This is something we've talked about on this podcast a lot. I used to say the unconscious or the subconscious racial bias in how we talk about black football players, you know, when we talk about power and pace and how white people are the intelligent ones. But I'm, I'm just going to say what it is. I think it's a conscious bias now. What we've seen in in the immediate aftermath of this reporting is we've had uh, Piers Morgan, one of the worst journalists of all time, does not believe it was racist. Uh, and that this is no different to the way Wayne Rooney was, was treated which is an absolute farce. This is very interesting to, to report, especially a week after a banana was thrown at Arba. What's particularly interesting is that I'm seeing a lot of well-meaning, well-off white people going, yeah, something does need to change. And I'm sat here, you know, talking to you, Daniel, thinking about your freelance sports writer. I'm a freelance sports writer. How very few black journalists, black sports journalists are in these newsrooms. And thinking about how institutional racism both in football as in in the, within playing stuff coaching stuff and within sports reportage have created a culture where Raheem Sterling can get that sort of abuse and people think he's supposed to brush it off and ignore it where half Oprah said some very strong words about what he thinks about kick it out and whether or not kick it out is effective or not a football culture that just today on talk sport a footballer said that Raheem Sterling has sort of built a rod for his own back by having a social media and uploading photos of him spending money on social media, despite the fact that Raheem Sterling seems to be perhaps the only man who's criticised both for spending money at Harrods and at Poundland. (laughs) Um, Where's he supposed to spend his money? We have to bear in mind that only last season, Raheem Sterling was subject to a racially aggravated attack before... Manchester City versus Spurs. So he's driving to City's training ground and a car comes and like ramsides him by the parking lot. He doesn't understand what's going on. A man gets out the car and goes, you fucking scouse cunt. You fucking dickhead. You fucking nigger. You fucking nigger. You fucking black dickhead. Sterling is then shepherded by two members of Manchester City security, goes through the door of the training ground and then the gentleman in question goes, I fucking hope your mum and your kid die and before Sterling turn around, he is then pushed through City's training complex and that man is uh, taken away. Do you know what happened several hours after that incident? Green Sterling scored twice in a 4-1 win over Spurs. <laughs> so, like, what happened to the guy? I thought you were talking about the, gentleman, the guy. The gentleman was, was sentenced to, to a short spell in prison. But I want to talk about, one, the amazing mental strength and fortitude for Raheem Sterling. How... Yeah. 
he's a bit younger. He's 24, 24. He just turned 24. This is a guy who I, I recommend anyone listening to this read his story in the Players' Tribune, not because I work there, but also it's a great story, who helped his mum clean hotel rooms when he was a child, would take three buses to training from Wembley to get over to QPR and leave school from at three o'clock, take two hours on the bus to get to training at five, train for an hour, and then take another two hours to get back. And sometimes we get back into 11 o'clock and do that week in, week out with his young, with his older sister, take making sure he could get the bus because he was too young to go by himself. This is a player who, when he did that, after, you know, finally gets his deal at Liverpool, realises what's going on at Liverpool, realises that he probably has a better chance of, of making his career at Manchester City, was then painted in the media as, well, even before he left Liverpool, there were rumours that he had eight children, which when you consider Raheem Sterling's dad died at a very early age, is that is a racist dog whistle. When you, when you see the vitriol he got after he decided to leave Liverpool and how numerous former professionals said that Reem Sterling should know his place and should stick with Liverpool because Liverpool will know what's best for him. Again, another racist dog whistle. And then when you look at what happened after the Euros where he was, was very much cited as one of the scapegoats for England's disastrous run and, and people were calling him a footballing idiot. Um, there was one particular news story in The Sun that used a, a photo of Raheem Sterling to talk about another black footballer who had sold drugs. So Sterling wasn't even involved, but they wanted to use the, they used the headline image of Raheem Sterling. For Raheem Sterling to go through all that before the age of before the age of twenty five, and just get on with it, is amazing. But also, it speaks to the fact that this whole concept of how black people and minority voices always have to constantly go high. I don't want Raheem Sterling to have to go through all this and then just smile and put up with it. I don't want everyone to applaud Raheem Sterling for going. Man, he was so nice from like just laughing it off and not hitting that guy. Because as you said, Dan, on via Twitter, if Raheem Sterling had retaliated to that Chelsea fan, the news story would have been about Raheem Sterling's reaction rather than what was said. Something does need to change. And I'm sick of reading about I'm sick of reading reports from white journalists at white newspapers that are owned by white people saying something needs to change without offering any form of structure or ideas as to what needs to change. I'm sick of the only time I am contacted by Sky News or The Independent is when something black happens in sport. Rather than going, can I write like this? I turned down at least four approaches from media companies this weekend because I don't want, I don't want to have to talk about racism all day. This stuff is exhausting. I've been talking about this since 2016. When I've worked about Raheem Sterling and the racist abuse he gets in 2016, someone... I got called a cunt. I got called a uppity black cunt on Twitter. And then my boss, so my boss's boss called my boss and said, why are all these people yelling at Carl? And then my boss had to explain what was going on with Raheem Sterling. My boss's boss went, yeah, but it's Sterling. It's just, it's just what he gets. That was two years ago. Two years ago, friend of the podcast, Raj Baines, Tom Hotspur fan, did a documentary about how there are barely any black or POC sports journalists and how that causes problems like this, where you don't get anyone calling out the racist dog whistles or calling out the the, the conscious biases and call, calling out the, frankly, racist news reports we get. So to see this happening two years later with Henry Winter and a bunch of other Waitrose shopping, Marks and Spencer's shopping journalists going, I can't believe it's got this bad. I can't believe we've gone backwards when for at least two years, black journalists on the fringes have been warning you what's going on. I am very annoyed as to uh, the past 48 hours. The three Chelsea, the three to four Chelsea fans who, who called, you, you know, subjected Sterling to that abuse have just been served with a suspension from Stamford Bridge. But my worry and concern is that when this podcast goes out, it will be Champions League fixtures and the conversation will be about the Champions League, will be about can City do it in the Champions League stage and will be about Liverpool in the Champions League and then we'll forget about all of this until the next time something happens. And very similar, when you, can, when you listen to, when you look at what happened last weekend, where the Premier League went, the Premier League supports Stonewall and the Pink Rainbow Laces campaign, and how that tweet was subjected to record levels of homophobic abuse, and how nothing seems to have been done in, in the week after. It's been a week, 
and no one seems to be talking about the level of homophobia in football. And that's going to go away for a bit. I am very sick and tired of hearing well-meaning people going, something needs to be done and not offering anything. I was I was looking at the, I think his name is Henry Winter. He was like, um, this is like a huge moment for the media and football. And I think he called it like a wake-up call. I was like, a wake-up call? Who can afford to be asleep? Mm-hmm. Who who gets the privilege of being asleep? As you say, like people, as you say, black journalists who are on the fringe in quotes, like we we don't get to sleep. Like we have to, we understand what this is. We understand what the consequences of those actions of the, of ignoring it or how Raheem Sterling, if we want to use that example, how that's phrased. Other people just kind of get to turn, you know, the deaf ear, the blind eye. They don't really have to concentrate on it until it becomes Chelsea are playing Manchester City. It's a big game in the Premier League. It's on at 5.30 on Saturday. The whole world is watching. You can clearly see what the guy says. It's evident. Then, only then, are you just kind of dipping your toe in the water of, hmm, maybe we should think about how we're doing things. It's a wake-up call? Why have you been asleep? And who can afford to sleep? Yeah, very well said. Uh, to, I, I'm really proud of this podcast. I'm really proud that this is a podcast with, with three Black voices. This is not common in sports media. I, I also recommend you listen to Touchline Fracker or Frackers, depending on how you like to pronounce that, which is another podcast podcast with majority black voices. Because, you know, as Stan Collymore rather clumsily put it in a number of publications, the when you keep saying, Oh yeah, this is a this is a big moment. No, it's not. We've been talking about this for at least two years. At the very least, two years. Why have you not been paying attention? Because they don't have to. <laughs> it's, 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 you don't have to pay attention unless you want to, which is the privilege of being white. Raheem Sterling, one of the best football players in Europe, has just said, I get subjected to a disproportionate amount of physical and verbal abuse in football stadiums because of, because of the way black football players are being reported in the press. Mm-hmm. This is what Sterling has said. Sterling has gone. Black players have it harder to play football and do their jobs, and are subjected to more racist treatment by fans because of the racist reporting of black players. Right, that's what Sterling's saying. I am saying a large part of this reportage is racist, and be it subconscious or, un- or, or conscious, because these newsrooms are beset by institutional racism. See, that's where I was going to go. <laughs> After you said that point, I was, was like, okay. Sterling is is talking. Sterling is very smart. Is a very smart, is a very eloquent man. And I think he, he's aware of the root and the branch, but he's talking very much about the branch right now, which is, this is the impact of this reporting on me. And I am talking, right. about, this is why this is being reported in this way. So I don't want to hear something must be done. I want to hear... Here's the next batch of interns that are looking for black candidates. I'm looking for, here's what we're doing to make sure not everyone we hire are Oxbridge graduates. I want to hear, I want to see, here is the scheme to get more black coaches in football. I want to see the Rooney rule in football, right? Because this is, this is how you completely change the outlook of the tree. This is how you completely change it. So the moment Tosin goes, yeah, someone outside called me this. He can talk to a black football coach and go, they did what? And the black football coach can go to a black owner and go, this happened. And the owner can go, what? And the owner can phone up the journalist, the black journalist in the in, a, in perhaps a black owned newspaper. And they went, they did what? And then it gets reported properly. And then we can put into the public conscious that, do you not understand why this is bad? Do you understand why calling this player this is inappropriate? Do you understand why? Do you understand why it's not okay? to keep saying those things about Raheem Sterling. You understand why it's not okay for you to go, yeah, but Sterling's fair game because he, he's on this much money a week. What What is that as a statement? Why do you think earnings, why do you think someone earning more money than you makes them more fair game for you to attack their humanity? Mm. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm specifically phrasing it like that. And Sterling says, you know, it doesn't bother me. It's just football. I don't mind about this. But he also said, when you talk about my family, Sterling, the, the interesting thing about Sterling is he's more or less given up. He's like, yeah, I'm going to get this racial abuse. Sterling doesn't leave the house. He, you know, he's he, said, he, he, he said in his statement, I don't expect no better. Yeah, I don't that's, expect no better. That's, that, that is depressing if you think about it. It's just like, yeah, I expect 
to be racially abused. I expect to be abused. This is par for the course. It is what it is. I just have to kick on. Take that in. When we were in conversation with Reem Sterling, I said, what do you like to do? And he goes, oh, you know, I stay at home with my family and watch films. Reem Sterling basically does not really leave the house unless he has to, because he doesn't want the aggro that comes with being Raheem Sterling, that comes with being a young black man who is very prominent in the public eye. And they say, oh yeah, well, he did it himself. What did he do? All Raheem Sterling has done is be good at football. All he's done is be good at football and seek to maximise his potential of being good at football. That's it. But apparently, for some reason, that means he should, he should be verbally abused. When, 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 a, when a newspaper in England ran a story about how... So just after Euro 2016, mm. Raheem Sterling bought a house for his mum and then on Snapchat, basically took photographs of, I'm so, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Look at my mom. She's so happy. I bought a house. This is what the kitchen looks like. And the newspaper on the front page, it went, football idiot Raheem Sterling brags about buying his mom a sink. Wow. Normally when I talk about these things, I try to look at it systemically, right? So that Chelsea fan, the specific one that I think people are looking at, obviously there might have been more than one, but the main one that people are looking at. I think a lot of people look at him like that person is the problem. His actions are the sole cause of this problem. And people kind of partition that one person in his own box and don't look at the surrounding factors. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I think people kind of look at it from like, I don't know, the, the bottom up when you should look at it from the up down. So this is how Chelsea fans get into the whole our club is a racist. Just that particular guy is racist. He's not a reflection of Chelsea fans, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, I've come to a point in my life now where I still agree that things are systemic, but I'm at a point where like, I do want, <laughs> I do want to look at the individuals on some cases and just be like, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. Like I'm done trying to give, it's not an excuse. It's just like looking at the bigger reason. I'm, Sometimes I feel like I'm done with this whole bigger picture thing. Like, I realize you're racist and I know there are cause for your racism. And in some ways, I, I've, I tend to look at people and it almost gives them a pass because I don't blame you for your behavior necessarily because I understand the system in which you've been born and which you live. And it kind of helps me understand why you act like you act. But I've, I've come to this point where like, because I, I wrote about this a while back and I was just like, Chelsea isn't necessarily the problem the problem is society because society is racist and football is a microcosm of society in many ways you're going to find racism in football therefore if you want to solve chelsea's racist problem you should solve the racism in larger society and maybe it'll bleed into chelsea i still agree with that to a point but what what one of the questions i didn't ask myself is why does this particular club have more racist incidents than other ones so like if if i ask you just quickly if I, if I give you like one, two seconds, name a racist incident that's happened with Arsenal. Can you do it? Now, maybe you could, Carl, because like you've grown up in London. Football has been a part of your life forever. For me, it, it wasn't necessarily that, that that's not necessarily the case. But if I ask you to give me one racist incident about Arsenal quickly, can you do it? I, I can't do it. Maybe, that, maybe an Arsenal fan could. Because mm-hmm. you know they're they're intimately attached to the club. But if I ask you, Carl, name a racist incident with Chelsea. Yeah, like it, it, they're right there on, on your brain. Like you can name John Terry, you can name Paris, you can name this. It's right there. So one of the things that I didn't ask myself is, okay, yeah, things are systemic, and you're gonna find racism in every football club because they're racist people because society is inherently racist, right? Western society. But why is Chelsea always in these stories? So what is it about Chelsea Football Club that births these situations more than other places? Maybe not more than other places, but specifically in terms of in terms of like the elite of British football. What is it about that club? And do I want to attach myself to that? It's it's a question I have to wrestle with myself. What is it about Chelsea? I don't know. I, I can't answer that. I can't answer that for you. I I, I don't. I am I'm, I'm reluctant to say there there is. <sighs> in the same way and. and you can hear that sigh, and you made a similar noise as well. This is what racism does. Racism gives you a certain sound effects of just <laughs> fine. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I racism gives you sound effects. Racism, racism <laughs> it's, a it's, a, it's a low key bar. Racism exhausts you. It's a, racism is a distraction. There's a very famous 
um, quotation, but our racism ultimately is a distraction because it distracts you from the work of enjoying and living your life. Mm. And that's why I think you seem particularly exasperated right now because racism right now is a distraction from what you want to do, which is enjoy Chelsea Football Club. Let me I'm, finish. I'm, I'm at a point in my life where like I can't enjoy it. Which is, which you think racism has ultimately distracted you entirely from enjoying Chelsea Football Club. It's ruined it for you. Um, what I've just said on this podcast about how I've had to turn down offers. Racism is distracting me from doing what I want to do right now, which is do my job. And I'd like my job to not be explaining myself for the next two or three years anytime something racism happens in football. When I've been telling you since 2016, this is why it's going on. You know how you can just like copy and paste responses? Just like go read my own shit. Like <laughs> if, if if you want to know what I think about it, not much has changed in the past 24 months. So just go read my own I, shit. I have a piece on a website which basically goes, I'm so sick of explaining the word nigger. And in it, I've just I deliberately left the news the, the hook, the news hook blank. And I said, I'm deliberately leaving the reasons as to why I'm writing this story here blank. So that in the years to come, so the years to come where you start asking me stupid questions about why can't I say nigger, I just point you here. This is my that's my two go-to document that'll live forever. Anytime. <laughs> yeah. That's dope. That's a dope idea, actually. I'll, I'll let you finish, but I have one more again, point. Again, racism distracts you from doing the work, which is why this podcast was meant to last only an hour and is now gone far longer because racism has distracted us from what we're trying to do which is enjoy football and have a fun podcast about that yes. so can we All move right. on to subjects no 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 i have one more point Carl. it's, it's going to keep distracting last point and you kind of brought it up so i'm going to make it quick the idea that sterling being laughing in the face of racism is the only way to uh, or is the ideal way of approaching racism i have a slight issue with because if sterling smacks that man in his face for calling him a fucking black cunt. I feel like that's an equitable response to racism. But Sterling can't do it. But people are going to almost romanticize or fetishize the idea that, like, because Sterling laughed in his face, this is how black people, you're supposed to deal with racism. The whole, like, you know, when John Barnes kicks away the banana and that, like, iconic photo. This is how you're supposed to deal with racism. I have a real problem with that because as a human, I should have the full spectrum of emotions with which to express myself and if i feel like being angry in that moment i deserve the right to be angry and i deserve the right to retaliate to confront you whether that extends into like laying hands on you and you know i was gonna say give you the holy ghost but like if that extends to laying hands maybe that could be going too far in some instances but for me to just like oh he laughed and it was just delightful like no if, if he turns and he gives him a me mug and he walks up to him and says, don't you ever in your fucking life say that to me again. And he points at him. Obviously, the story would turn into, oh, Raheem Sterling does this, Raheem Sterling does, does that. But for me, personally, I would like to see that humanity expressed, that I want to have the full spectrum at my disposal. I don't want to be put in this one box where you have to act respectable. Fuck that. If you call me a nigga, if you call me a black cunt, don't just think, oh, Daniel's just going to smile at you. Like, no, I'm not even a bad man like that. Like, I'm really nice. But just don't think you can say anything to me. And because you've heard that, oh, black people deal with it this way, that's the only way it can happen. Like, no, no. I just really hate that narrative, how people just, oh, the way he dealt with it was perfect. It might have been perfect for him, but that's not perfect for everyone. That's my only point. We'll leave it there. All right. So... I'm sure you want to talk about other Premier League fixtures. We've got like 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, let's talk. Let's, I'm going to go through these really, really quickly. And if you want to say anything about anything, you just hop right in. Okay. Okay. So uh, Liverpool beat Burnley 4-0 to go top. Really interesting thing there is Mo Salah looks back in it. Got 50 goals max, huh? Double H, 50 goals max, huh? <laughs> <laughs> looks back in the goals uh, what's really interesting there is he's more or less matching his trajectory from last season where uh -huh. he had an opening 10 games where he was snatching at shots and it didn't look like he was going to kick in and then it just happened and then he started kicking in that last goal he scored by the way the last goal was fantastic like it was like a cat toying with a mouse the second goal where he stayed on his feet after Steve Cook went through his Achilles and just finished quite calmly um, he's playing more central now, which I think find quite interesting. And he's also beginning to start a quite nice partnership with 
Shakiri, who's proving to be maybe the signing transfer signing of the season, of the summer at least. Liverpool now top by one point. Jurgen Klopp said the two-point gap they were behind City felt like 200. So it'll be interesting to see what Liverpool do now they are top and now they are ch- now they're at the top of the pile. I think they are. Do you think they have a chance? Do you, do you think they have like a real chance to win? Or do you think this is just kind of an, an, an aberration rather? No, aberration. I think this is what it is. I think what you're seeing is one of the greatest of a Premier League sides of all time being chased by one of the greatest of a Liverpool sides of all time. Liverpool, are going to f- Liverpool very easily could finish the season with 90 points and not win the league, which which shows just how strong the Premier League is now. You know, the Liverpool's defence now is fantastic. Joe Gomez is now injured. injured, So that's worrying. In comes in Joe Matip, who's not as good as Joe Gomez, doesn't quite have the same partnership with Van Dijk. Liverpool currently have a do-or-die match against Napoli in Anfield this week, midweek in the Champions League. And then they have to go play Manchester United. And I don't know about you, but Mourinho would love to rain on Liverpool's parade, wouldn't they? That's what he does. Mourinho loves doing that to Liverpool. 2014, 2014. <laughs> yeah. um, ah, that was that was a great game, by the way. But go ahead. I don't want to get stuck. <laughs> uh, ah. Arsenal beat Huddersfield 1-0. Uh, Lucas Torreira in the, one of the dying minutes of the game with the winner. It's amazing how Torreira's just become a fan favourite. Again, he is also up there with signing of the se- of the summer. I, I, I think he's just a lovely bloke. And the Torreira story I always say was that when his dad came over to visit Torreira, maybe a month after he first signed to Arsenal, he asked the staff, is my son being nice? Not, is he playing well or selling well? Was Is my son being polite? Is he saying good morning, please and thank you? Which, Uruguayans, man. They're, a, they're a special people. It's hard to not make friends with one. Um, Burnley beat Brighton 1-0 in what was relatively the stinker of the weekend. Very set-piece heavy, but uh, a well, a much-needed goal for Burnley. Brighton seem to be doing fine. I don't think they're going to get sucked into the relegation fight. Cardiff beat Southampton. Um, Hasselhut, the new Southampton manager, aka the Alpine Klopp, will take some time to bed in at Southampton. Southampton need goals. They need a striker. I'm not really going to gauge what's going to happen in Southampton until after the January window closes. Um, Cardiff, doing all right. Neil Warnock, doing it again. Manchester United beat Fulham 4-1. Uh, notable thing here, Paul Pogba didn't feature. Mourinho mm. said Paul Pogba will feature against Valencia this week, but he's very. the Frenchman is very much on a naughty step. Marcus Rashford with two assists. Rashford looking like one of the very few outfielders that isn't shrinking in this third season, Mourinho. Basically, the only outfielders I think are performing well for United this season are Luke Shaw, Marion Fellaini, Anthony Martial, Marcus Rashford. Uh, Lukaku came out and said that he basically has been suffering right now because of all the extra gym weight he carried. So I, I mentioned this before about how he just looked bulkier. And he said, yeah, I put, I put on some extra pounds in the gym for the World Cup. Uh, and then I came back for the first month of the Premier League when I'm really, really tired and went, this, this can't work for Premier League football. So I've stayed at the gym. I've stopped eating meat. I'm eating a lot more fish and vegetables and now I'm losing the weight. I don't know if I can get back to where I used to be. He's got two goals in his last two starts. Let's see if the Buffalo first touch jokes continue. West Ham beat Crystal Palace. Right, this was a great game between two teams that shouldn't be playing this well. Palace are in an interesting sport where Roy Hodgson is maybe tipped to be the next manager to be sacked. But you know what more can you expect from Palace? They're, they haven't got a striker. Their squad isn't great. West Ham now up to 10th because they've won three games in a row because that shows the topsy-turvy nature of the league. Um, Leicester lost 2-0 to Tottenham Hotspur. Great goal from Son. Uh, and uh, Deli Ali scored a lovely little back post header. That Saturday into Sunday. Newcastle lost 2-1 to Wolves. Wolves scoring in the last minute. I'm really annoyed at how Perez didn't take the ball into the corner and just kill the game. And then basically Wolves got done on the counter-attack. And then today... Uh, Everton and Watford drew 2-2 in what is now known as the Tom Cleverley derby. That was quite <laughs> fun to <laughs> Elsewhere, really, 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 really quickly in Europe, uh, Dortmund beat Schalke 2-1 in their derby. Jaden Sancho with the winner. Bayern Munich won 3-0 in their match. Lewandowski got, I think, his 40th brace 
in Bundesliga history. He loves scoring goals in twos. Um, Real Madrid up to fourth in La Liga. Barcelona won 4-0, I think, in what was a Copa del Rey match. Um, Barcelona obviously playing Spurs this week. Juventus were meant to struggle to beat Inter Milan. I don't know what's going on in France right now. Please forgive me. Let's talk Champions League. I'm going to go through these Champions League pictures really, really quickly and you're going to pick me a winner. Okay. Cool? All right. Let's get this done. Uh, Barcelona v Tottenham. Oh, you had to start with the hard one. Um, Okay. Barcelona already through. They're going to rest people. So I'm going to say draw. Tottenham have to better or have to better Inter Milan's result. I really want Tottenham to go through. It's not going to happen. Barcelona going to beat Spurs. Inter versus PSV. Uh, Inter have to win, right? So I'm going to go Inter win. The only reason why Inter wouldn't win is because Inter are Inter. Yes. Uh, Club Bruce versus Atletico Madrid. Madrid. Uh, Monaco versus Dortmund. Dortmund. Uh, they've got the original name for this club up. and I forget what they are called in English. It's the team from Red Star Belgrade. Against PSG. Yes. PSG. Liverpool versus Napoli. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with the score draw. I think Napoli's going to win this. You do? Yeah. There's Don, a really... Carlo. Don Carlo's going to do some magic, huh? There was a quite fun interview this weekend where um, Italian press talked to Carlo Ancelotti and basically said, yeah, you've got quite the rivalry with um, Liverpool, don't you? What, with 2005 and 2007 in Champions League? And, and then he, you know, like Carlo Ancelotti often does, he raises his eyebrow and he went, yeah, I also won the Premier League at Anfield. Right? His one eyebrow. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Carlo Ancelotti explaining how the English language works is one of the more interesting videos in football. Because his understanding of English grammar... So Carl Ancelotti speaks English, Italian, French, and Spanish. And I think he speaks one more language. And uh, before, when he came over to Chelsea and learned how to speak English, they asked him, how did you learn English so quickly? And he goes, oh, yeah, you know, well, when I, when I learn a language, you do past, partic- past participle, present participle, this participle, verb, this one, this one, this one, this one. So it's very clear he learns languages in a very unorthodox manner, which means he can learn them really, really quickly and switch. Don't know if you ever find that video, but check that one out. Like Ancelotti is a savant with languages. Um, Schalke versus Lokomotiv Moscow. Draw. I have no idea. Galatasaray versus Porto. Galatasaray if it's at home. Let's go into Wednesday's fixtures. Ajax versus Bayern Munich. Mm, I'm gonna go Bayern. Benfica versus Athens. Benfica. Manchester City versus Hoffenheim. Man City. They have to win. Schalke they don't. Versus- it's gonna be trouble. Yeah. Shakhtar versus Lyon. Oh, I think Lyon have to win this one as well. Um, I think it's like whoever wins this one goes through. I'm going to go Lyon because I like Lyon. Too, Real Madrid versus Cisco. Cisco, just kidding. Real Madrid. Victoria Pilsen versus Roma. Roma. Valencia versus Manchester United. I'm going to let you pick. Uh, this is going to be a draw and Paul Pogba's not going to do much. Young Boys versus Juventus. Juve. And do you want to go into Europa League? No. That's that. <laughs> That's that. One, that okay, now Carl, Carl, we have we have one one more thing, and I'm gonna just ask you this: the Copa Libertadores. What did you think? It was great, wasn't it? It was a really good. I mean, the, the standard of football was not Champions League level, but in terms of in terms of spectacle, in terms of drama, independent journalist, as in journalist who works for the newspaper, the Independent, Miguel Delaney likened the atmosphere to the game as similar to the 2010 World Cup final in terms of just nerve shredding tension and just not wanting to lose. Obviously, the game was played in the Bernabeu Stadium because of all the fan trouble and discussion. Um, and it was 1-3-1 by River Plate in extra time after Boca Juniors. Boca Boca goal up. No. No. River goal, goal up. Boca equalise. Goes to extra time. No, 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 no. No, it was Boca went up with uh, Benevento, and then yes. River Plate equalized, and then a man got sent off. Quintero scored, and then when uh, Boca were trying to, you know, get the last equalizer, they put up the goalkeeper with nine men because uh, Barrios got a red card, and then Gago got injured, so they had nine people on the field. They put the goalkeeper up, goalkeeper up, and uh, they got counted, and then they ended three one. I think that's how it went. Yes. 
Um, and that that was that was that was the copper. Um, whether or not that result will stand, I reckon that will be one of the most hotly argued games of football. Um, we'll, people will be arguing about that result for for the next thirty forty years. Boca fans will certainly not let that one go quietly into the night, and I don't think River fans will uh, let that one go quietly into the night either. Um, interesting about that, obviously, is that we'll probably well, depending on how much football you watch, River Plate will be featuring in the World FIFA World Club Cup tournament this December, along with Real Madrid. Um, so River and Real Madrid will get buys, um, and then Welling, I think it's Wellington, will be representing Oceana uh, and other teams. Who, sorry, I'm just trying to speed through things. We are recording this very late. I forgot about questions. You guys, they ask questions. So shout out to the people that ask questions. I'm going to select like two or three of the ones that I like. All right. Outside the top six, what player have you been impressed by? Oh, uh, Nathan Ake. It just seems like a great – basically Bournemouth. Nathan, Nathan Ake, Callum Wilson have been superb. Brian Frazier has been great. Um, Gomez at Everton, I don't think – yeah. Uh, Felipe Anderson seems to be having a fantastic season for West Ham. Mm. Dan Alkovic is really, really making the idea of him being a store brand Ibrahimovic seem a bit stupid. And and really, you know, I, I I scoff at the idea that he might be worth 50 million in this market. He really is worth 50 million. Those those are players that strike that, that are interesting me outside the top six. Cool. Should the Premier League change their tradition of having so many games in December? No. Like, look, yes, absolutely. We're going to get winter break soon anyway. And a winter break is great because it means players aren't, you know, breaking the running on one hamstring come March. But also, I've said this before, it's so much fun having winter football, isn't it? It really does just help me, especially when I get a bit overwhelmed with Christmas, going, oh, God, I need a break for my family. I go, oh, wait, I can just switch on the game of football. <laughs> uh, how can Have Hope say he hates Guardiola because he's arrogant and bald? When his goat is Mourinho, and he himself is bald. Half Hope is not bald; he has a shaved head. But as I've said before, Half Hope. When Half Hope decides he likes something, he will like that thing until he changes his mind, and nothing will change his mind. Pep Guardiola is the best football manager in the world right now, and Mourinho isn't even in the top ten. I don't think anyone can argue with me about that. Right now, Pep Guardiola is the best manager in the world. Mourinho is not top ten. We do this every Tuesday. Um, I'm at Danny Talukar. Where can the people get you one time? Anchorman six one six. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Talking Tactics. Um, Spotify, just type in Talking Tactics, and I'm sure we'll come up. Remember, if you're listening on an Apple device, leave us a five-star review. If it's five stars, we'll read it on the show. Yeah, Talking Tactics podcast, sometimes funny, sometimes serious. Always football. Did you have to sing? <laughs> Indeed. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.